uh, I majored in finance and management, but I, I loved history and loved history and then ended up being a musician career. But um, the best teacher I ever had was this history teacher at UNA, University of North Alabama. And he would always say that good history is intellectual history, meaning that the, the best uh, historians try to figure out what was in the minds and then the community and then the context of the people who were the things were happening to. In other words, it's not sometimes it's not that helpful to look retrospectively and view history through the lens of everything that's happened since then and even now, you know, what uh, these symbols and these stories mean to me now, uh, more about what did it mean to them then. Um, and I think that's the same is true in studying uh, art history, studying art, Christ, uh, Christian symbols, and scripture as well. Um, the second kind of reason is that uh, art communicates the practice of, uh, I, at least I would uh, posit, that art communicates the practice of early Christians perhaps more than textual remains. Uh, and this comes from the idea that um, art and symbols and artifacts and material remains of how people live speak more to what they practiced uh, than what we actually say they or what they actually said they practice. In other words, sometimes we write our history different than we live our history. Uh, I don't know if any of you all caught the 1968, the four-part 1968 documentary on CNN uh, last weekend, but those of you who lived through 1968, it was fascinating, it's fantastic documentary, and uh, I, it's funny watching it with my mom who, who taught, taught me to love history and I'm a big, I love 60s history and 60s political history and I, as I was watching, watching it, people would say things uh, about what, you know, when Bobby Kennedy was killed, what, what happened in the country or what did people think and they would say something and then my mom say well, actually it was like this you know, we actually thought this and it actually happened like this, the same with thinking about civil rights and all that, what we say happened sometimes is different than what actually happened. Um, and so the idea that uh, in art you have the material remains of popular religion and what you have in textual uh, or, or in the text is kind of official theology, uh, what the church wants you know, us to believe that happened. And so I think uh, again, this is a, an, another version of, of why uh, we should study this stuff and why we should uh, look at it at least um, popular religion versus uh, official theology. Um, and then finally, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? L literally, right? Uh, there's With pictures like text, there's almost never a single clear message. Um, it, it requires... Uh, it requires kind of intellectual interpretation. Um, and again, I, I think I, I've heard Josh say this a lot about uh, like the bumbling professor of uh, that how we interpret and what we say about um, what these pictures and this art and the text. Uh, means says more about us than it does sometimes about the people we're trying to interpret. So the goal with this class, or my goal with this class, uh, is to look kind of at the beliefs and the struggles uh, and the evolution of the early and the earlier 
uh, church and earlier Christians kind of through this careful contextual analysis um, that kind of the same way we do with Bible I'd like to do with art so um, that's kind of what this class is about um, I think I mentioned last week kind of because of the scope uh, and breadth of early early Christian art uh, is so small um, because we don't again we don't have much Christian art at all or what can be specifically named as Christian art uh, until the early third century really uh, and then you know you have two sections pre-Constantine and or pre, pre-edict of Milan and post-edict of Milan up through the, the sixth century we get through that pretty fast I mean we have 13 weeks but we'll probably spend half the time on early early Christian symbols and art and then the rest of the time we'll spend you know looking at um, Anglo-Saxon, uh, Celtic, Anglo-Saxon, uh, Viking, you know, kind of Christian art uh, manuscripts and things like that. So to say this is all about early, the earliest Christian um, art would be a little bit of a misleading thing. So if you only want to know about that, we'll be, get you through about six weeks and then you can go to Randall's class and learn something actually useful, right? So... Uh, yeah, this, this is kind of a statement that I formulated that I like. Art is neither simply illustration of text, nor is it necessarily challenging to them. Images are articulate and complex modes of expression that make no sense in isolation and have no meaning apart from the ideas that emerge in a local community and engage that community's values. In other words, in other words, uh, Early text and the Bible and biblical or Christian art need one another for interpretation. Um, and those of you who are in the academy or, or scholars, sometimes there's this battle that goes on constantly between, well, all early Christian art is is an illustration of what we already know from the text. And then um, art people you know, say, well, actually, Christian art is kind of a pushback against or a challenge to uh, what the texts say happened in the early church or what the early church believes. Uh, neither one of those things are really correct. The truth is they, they work in tandem. Uh, and sometimes you do find those things happening. Sometimes you do find images and practices by, um, that, are, that are interpreted through images and art in early Christian history, that is a challenge to some of what the text says. Um, and, but that's not always the case. Um, they kind of exist to be interpreted and talked about uh, together. And of course, the most important thing is to, rem- to remember is that none of these things, either the text or art or symbols or whatever we look at, uh, really mean much of anything outside of the context of the community in which it was happening. Uh, And so it's it's imperative that we understand the history of the church, you know, what was going on during the persecutions that made people use the symbols they did in Christian art. You know, what those symbols that might mean something in the second century or the early third century mean something completely different 
uh, during during the persecutions, or certainly means something different um, after the Edict of Milan, um, when it becomes okay to be a, generally okay to be a Christian. So, anyway, any uh, question? I know that's kind of a rambling. Why why are we doing this kind of thing? Uh, yeah. What about? Uh, We've heard that uh, maybe the early Christians used uh, a graffiti art, the, the sign of the fish, and so forth. Is uh -huh. Anything left of, of is that a factor? Is that well, we we're, we'll get into that, right? Just just uh, in just a second and more in detail. That that's actually what we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. These very specific symbols uh, and how they were used. Uh, yes, fish. We will be talking about fish. Symbols, yeah. How does because now when you hear the term art, it can include music, right? We're just going to be looking at images, images. for the most part. Yeah. Is, was it? Is it? And was it also true that music was used to in conjunction with and to push against? Yes, it's true, but music. Is, is like the letters and like the text exists much earlier than images or art does because you have obviously you have Paul in prison singing hymns you know he's not singing you know Fleetwood Mac songs he's, he's, he's whatever he's singing you know is, is, is related to his, his plight and you do find you find evidence of hymns and songs and worship um much earlier than you do uh, art, um, so it's kind of it's, music is kind of in the same category as uh, texts and letters and encouragements and um, documentary history and things like that. I do obviously consider uh, music an important part of the of the dialogue and the narrative of the early church. Um, but it's more straightforward. All that I mean, again, you recover a lot of theology from songs. When people a thousand years look at the songs we're singing this morning, you know, they're going to know a, a little bit about what we believe. Although sometimes we sing songs that we don't believe that, do we? You know, so there's always room for maybe these songs, or may, you know, maybe these, maybe the things we say and things we practice don't necessarily line up with what we actually believe and anytime you say that anyway it's a loaded statement half the people in here might you know love the theology of a Chris Tomlin song or they may think no that's totally opposite you know it's part of the angst of interpreting any of these things but anyway that's a long answer to the music question what else yes so Brad yeah is so you come so are you are you going to get into the idea of it, the legitimacy of then taking symbols from the first century and kind of co-opting to our current culture to may have a similar meaning or may mean something yes. completely different. Yes. You're going to discuss that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, I hate seeing. Yeah. Pe most of the questions are when are you going to actually talk about something? <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for you to get through your thousand words. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. Oh, you want to see a picture? I got plenty of pictures. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So just some scope, though. Uh, talking about the limiting aspects of early Christian art. When we talk about what do we mean by early Christian art, 
there are some um, important guidelines or scope that, that I think at the outset are good to talk about. I mentioned this last week uh, very quickly at the end, but Christian art as such cannot be dated uh, any earlier uh, th- than the end of the second century, beginning of the third century. And then I posed this question, and we kind of answered it. Why is the terminus of quote? So the, the starting point of what we know to be definite Christian art, why does it start so late relative to everything else? And um, what was the answer to that? Anybody remember? Yes, right? So those of you who weren't in here last week, um, yeah, well, the same reason we don't have Jewish art for the most part is that um, early early Christians were basically a kind of kind of a, a sect of Judaism, right? And the and the um, kind of the adhesion or is that a word? Adhere? Yeah, they adhered. This terrible grammar. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the second commandment of no graven images, uh, the Jews really kind of stuck to that. There's not a lot of Jewish uh, ancient art uh, per se, uh, and for that same reason, uh, the early Christians didn't really. Another reason or reasonable assertion is that they associated art and images uh, and symbology in general uh, with pagan culture. Uh, because as we'll see uh, in the next couple of weeks, a lot of the symbols uh, that we tend to even now associate with Christian meaning and early Christian meaning were actually pagan symbols. Um, or They were the pagan symbols or, or neutral religious symbols that were used in uh, just Roman cultural art that we find Christians co-opting um, and kind of ass- assigning a religious um, meaning to, so yeah, that brings up the question: Were the early Christians more faithful to the injunctions against idolatry and graven in images? I, I'm not sure what the answer to that is. Uh, yeah, Christians were still trying to figure out, and we know this from our text. Christians were still trying to figure mm-hmm. out what it means to be uh, a Christian. Does it mean to be a really, really good Jew, or uh, does it mean to be? Uh, does it mean something completely different? And we see that worked out in the text. Um, and we kind of see that worked out by the absence of art uh, in the first uh, couple hundred years of the Christian uh, revolution. So, anyway, uh, another cr- chronological breakdown is that uh, I think I may have mentioned this as well, just in passing, that you have two periods basically. You have the early Roman, I mean, the late Roman. Uh, third and fourth century uh, group of art and then everything changes in the early Byzantine uh, through the end of the Byzantine Empire after Constantine mid fourth century uh, when Christians not only stop for the most part being uh, you still have another great persecution that comes later but um, they stop getting persecuted so the religion becomes not so clandestine uh, but also they have imperial patronage. You know, it's a lot. Uh, you have a lot of people painting, doing art, doing Christian art and stuff uh, after they get patronage <coughs> for it later on. Uh, so two two different chron- uh, chronological group groupings. Um, so the second 
kind of uh, limiting scope is iconographic or, or the content, what's actually in the art. And that usually falls into these four different groups that we'll be talking about beginning uh, next week. The first is borrowings from the pagan religious world adapted to serve uh, Christian teaching. And this, this, a lot of these things that you don't, maybe haven't thought of before uh, as being uh, pagan associated with pagan Roman religions. The Good Shepherd, Fisherman of Men, um, the Philosopher, uh, the Prophet's Robes. You remember last week when I was showing the John the Baptist that I found? It was a little, it was confusing to me. I didn't think it was John the Baptist because he had Prophet's Robes on. And most of the time, John the Baptist is depicted that by that late, by the medieval period, um, in, in his camel skin, you know, his wild man costume. So seeing him and seeing prophet's robes uh, didn't immediately bring John the Baptist to mind. But uh, the, the seated philosopher or the prophet's robes guy uh, was present in a lot of pagan art in the uh, Roman period. The orant, which is the person praying uh, sometimes praying with their arms open or wide uh, figure is very common in, in uh, mid and late Roman uh, pagan art. Meal scenes, um, the harvesting, the harvest scenes, um, all those things uh, are, are found in pagan art and were adopted by Christians. Uh, and again, figuring out what is what is a challenge for the historian. Um, because sometimes you find those things, um, the only way to positively identify them sometimes as Christian is their juxtaposition with other symbols that are definitely Christian. Or the preponderance, preponderance of evidence if you have, I think I, I showed last week this, uh, this group of stuff I have, uh, where you have you know, a peacock on a ring bezel you know, and you think, okay, that it could be a pagan ring. Peacock is a symbol that's used in pagan art. Uh, sometimes it's used in, in with no religious uh, connotation whatsoever. But without these, you know, fish or Cairo, you know, uh, I forget what on, is on this bezel, but I think there, uh, there's a kind of a Cairo. There's an X, but it doesn't completely do the row, you know. But without those symbols, this is just a pagan ring, you know, but you put those kairos on the each side of that bezel and suddenly it had, takes on a Christian meaning. So a lot of times interpreting uh, or you have the orange, you know, <coughs> figure, but on a cross, you know, of course that's a part of a reliquary so we know it's Christian because somebody's trying to keep, you know, what they say is a relic in that reliquary. But again, often, oftentimes interpreting the difference between a piece of art that contains um, co contains a pagan symbol that has no Christian symbology at all, uh, we can only figure out because of their juxtaposition to other uh, things that are definitely Christian. Or again, you have a bunch of things that could be used as Christian on the same object or the same piece of art. A lot of times, you just say, "Okay, that's that's." That's Christian, right? Right. It works yeah. That way, but it works the other way around, right? Something that could be Christian in nature can be co-opted by 
Well, yeah, yeah. For for instance, uh, the the pentagram, right? Uh, the the star, five pointed star, and the partic particular configuration. I just showed that one of those rings had a pentagram on the bezel of it. Uh, was a pagan symbol in Roman culture. Then it was adopted by Christians because it became, the pentagram was a clandestine symbol for the five wounds of Christ, the five points of the star. Uh, and again, as uh, that ring had fish on the bezel, it has a pentagram on the top and then on the arms it has two fish. So it's, and it also has these kind of bullet points that, that uh, Christians were known to do with pentagrams was re-co-opted by the Church of Satan, you're right. I mean, the pentagram is the symbol, right. a, a satanic symbol. I don't know when that happened. Any of you Anton LaVey fans might know. <laughs> Micah. No, I'm just kidding. No, sorry. Yeah. So it was re-co-opted by pagan culture, you know, for, and then we're back and forth. I mean, no... You don't see a pentagram on the walls of churches now, you know, unless, right. you know, it's, it's yeah, so you do have right. some back and forth between some of these symbols. Well, the chronology sure. is really important to determine. Yeah, in the, con the, the context, right. The context. Yeah, for sure. And it, again, it is, I, I, I may have told this story last week, but that I had a guy who was importing a lot of antiquities from Bulgaria, from Eastern Europe, before that became illegal. And he would just send me boxes of stuff to kind of go through and clean and identify and classify. And I would find myself, you know, uh, you know, having these seals, you know, uh, wax seals, you know, from the 10th century or something. I was trying to, are these rings and trying to interpret, and I, like, this could be Christian, you know. Uh, I was trying really hard uh, to, to, because I so much, I so wanted to find Christian artifacts, you know, out of this piles of stuff that he sent, that I would find myself saying, "Yeah, that's probably Christian." You know, that's probably that's that's, that's probably good. it's in the box with other stuff that has some Christian symbols, and that's a danger of you know bad scholarship. Just saying, well, maybe maybe it is, maybe it's not. You know, um, it's really important. The context is really important, and again, juxtaposition becomes really important when we're talking about stuff this early trying to discern what is being borrowed from pagan culture and what is st still actually pagan culture. And further, what does that mean? You know, what, what, what does it mean, ultimately? Uh, this is from the catacombs at Callistus. It's a good shepherd. Um, and, and we'll talk more about this, but the, the earliest, earliest, uh, for the <laughs> most part, Christian art that we find are in catacombs. You know, and, and burial tombs on sarcophagus, uh, kind of it's it's funeral uh, in nature. Uh, it's where we find most of the earliest Christian art. You find frescoes in in Asia Minor on baptistry sometimes. I mean, you, you find different. There are exceptions to that, but for the most part, most of the earliest Christian art that we find are on tombs, are on grave, uh, in graves. So. Uh, this is one of those Good Shepherd um, uh, catacombs paintings that we're talking about. The symbol again, you could take a. I, I don't know why. When we talk about this specifically, these specific non-narrative symbols next week, 
in in detail and I'll I provide an image that is a Roman just a decorative Roman painting of the same style uh, that has no Christian context whatsoever uh, but this one is it's found in and amongst other Christian tombs so it, this is thought to be specifically looks like there's a is that a rooster down there is anybody sheep yeah you're right it's, it's another yeah, it could be an awesome rooster, though. He would be huge. Span out. He would be huge. It's relative. Yeah. No, I think this is the body of the sheep. It's back toward the other sheep. So you have the sheep. But this... Huh? Far... Yeah. What's the date of this Uh, You know, I don't have a specific date of this. It's, it's early 3rd century. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean... Specific date. I don't know that they could date it that specific, but again, that's kind of one of those good shepherd. Uh, the second kind of iconographic category <coughs> is religiously, uh, religiously neutral images based on traditional decorative motifs, uh, but were given Christian significance. In other words, things uh, in Roman culture like doves, uh, peacocks, uh, vines, grapes, fish, and other sea creatures. Uh, David, we we're talking about uh, boats, lambs. There's all kind of uh, aquatic and marine motifs that are really popular in just <laughs> Roman decorative culture. Uh, I've had lock hasps, uh, second century, third century bronze lock hasps before I've found that have, uh, you know, doves and things like that on it and a, lo a lot of these motifs just show up on household decorations in Roman culture from the time so again it's it's finding them in context here are a couple of fish you know on them this is from the catacombs at Domatilla uh, this was actually a really popular use of kind of the fish anchor motif and this is a very specific Christian use of it any observations about what that all might mean? Most of the time, the fish is used um, as we we are the fish. You know, uh, sometimes uh, th there's a later use of uh, the fish in that the Greek word for fish, uh, and this is why you find Jesus fish on people's. Um, cars the jesus fish magnet sometimes is that the the greek word for fish each each of the letters form the first letter of the greek instance of uh jesus christ uh savior of man or something like that i forgot we'll talk more specifically about this the fish and the non-narrative symbols next week but that that is a later you christian use of it but it's not th this early they weren't thinking about um, what do you call those? OCYG? What is it? Acronyms. Thank you. Another one of those big gaps in my scholarship. <laughs> Basic English. <laughs> the youth group answer is that we are anchored into the cross. Yeah. Not a bad, uh, not a bad interpretive answer as well, that we are tied to the anchor. The anchor, of course, also has a Christiform or a cross motif here with the circle being kind of a halo or a holy uh, symbol. But really it's just an anchor. 
uh, and the fish are tied to the anchor. Christ is the anchor. Um, yeah. Definitely two different types of fish. Yes, definitely two different types of fish. <laughs> this is an this is a piranha. Tennessee <laughs> bat. Yeah, catfish. Carp. Yeah. Carp. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, you have again. There's another. There's a. That's from Catacomb and Priscilla. That's a peacock. Um, which again we'll talk about specifically next week but the peacock is peacock was mythologically believed in the um, in late antiquity to have its flesh was would not decay it was eternal it was immortal uh, I don't know why that is maybe they just took a long time to rot peacocks or, I don't know if any of you have had peacocks pet peacocks that have died in the past maybe you could have <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just weird. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I can't speak to the validity of the longevity of the flesh of the peacock. But in kind of uh, antiquity, it was believed to be immortal, and that symbol was used um, both in, in as a decorative. You know, you find decorative peacocks in Roman culture, and then you specifically find it with the Christian connotation. Okay. So we, we with us being told that Jesus spoke to people and what they were attesting to, mm-hmm. like using yes, yes, agricultural stuff and so like that. So, yes. you talking about this brings in a little bit of a doubt of me of like, well, did the Christian faith co-opt something? And what does that create? Like, was there nothing original in the Christian? Faith? Right, right. Well. I mean, that's certainly one side of the coin. To me, What I find myself sometimes contemplating is that um, this cultural imagery that was used both in the decorative context in Roman culture and in um, kind of pagan religious connotations, uh, maybe the co-op didn't happen here. Maybe the co-op actually started with Jesus. Uh, he certainly was about co-opting a lot of other um, kind of uh, traditional motifs during his ministry. And so uh, part of me now read, because I, I know a little bit more about early Christian symbols and art, I find myself reading the Gospels a different way. In other words, why did Jesus use fish in a in a feasting scene here? You know, or why did he use the, in, in the, in the parable that he's telling, why did he use the symbols that he used? And uh, to me, that's that's uh, faith affirming, you know, to think that well, because he because he's co-opting those symbols and the use of that imagery uh, in a way that yes, that people people can and understand. Uh, in terms of it being original, I think yeah, your your idea of Jesus is using. Uh, the cultural motifs and analogies and symbols and even mythologies um, to, to communicate his message from God, I think is uh, faith affirming to me. It doesn't, you know, it's not threatening, I guess, in, in any way. Um, yeah, Micah, I, I knew you could speak to the mythology part. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. it, it does strike me that this is what Paul does in uh, Martel. He, he looks at their their idols and he's uh, bothered and offended by it. But he 
doesn't then bring that into the conversation, right? He he says, okay, let me affirm what you're doing. Let me talk about the truth that's in it. And then he quotes from their scriptures that they that their philosophers had, had used, and uh, and he applies that, those truths to God. Yes. Um, and so he's doing a uh, incredible kind of cross-cultural theological move there. Yes. But I think that seems to indicate to me a lot of the the heart and approach of the early church, how they dealt with these kinds of things in, in ways that would maybe make us uncomfortable now. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, Paul saying, let me tell you about your unknown God here, you know. I'm totally with this <laughs> unknown God, right? Uh, I, I think that is that is kind of the 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 spoiler alert for what we're going to be talking about in, in the next few weeks and in general in this class is that some of especially early Christian practices um, t- would would probably make us uncomfortable in terms of, of how um, how intertwined they were with pagan culture and just cultural in general, culture in general, uh, it's it's in some ways the antithesis of later, especially medieval um, church culture, which is you know, it, which you know, eventually led to the kind of monastic movement um, of separation from culture. And um, um, early Christians weren't really that interested in it, and and yeah, there there some of that that we'll find that might make us. Uh, a little uncomfortable. Of course, you know, part 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 of why we have these letters from Paul is is kind of some of correcting of that, or maybe setting into proper perspective of some of those practices. Um, it also brings to mind how radical a change uh, some of Christian practice was in the early church to people who were used to living a pagan, you know, pagan. Uh, religious uh, experience. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, we'll get with that later. I want to go ahead and finish this up. So the third category uh, that, that kind of falls into the content is narrative-based images brought, uh, drawn from Bible <coughs> stories. You see Jonah a lot in the third and fourth century. Uh, Abraham offering Isaac, Noah and the ark, and Moses striking the rock, Daniel, lions, and then toward in the smaller groups uh, are Jesus content. You know, Jesus hair, uh, healing the paralytic. See a lot of Jesus baptisms when you see stuff that's definitely Jesus. Uh, here's a catacomb, St. Peter. Um, uh, catacomb where you have Jonah being thrown out of the ship. And the rough looking dragon monster in the water. That doesn't look like any whale I'm familiar with. <laughs> Looks really. It looks like a donkey in the water. That's right, with really long. Mouth. Yeah. Uh, He's walking on the water. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. This this guy. Yeah. That, which is another uh, thing we'll talk about that that kind of resonates with the early Christian art. All falls within the same really simple, uh, simple art content. I mean, people say, well, this is just how ancient people painted. You know. <laughs> have you seen Roman art? You know, it's fantastic. You know, some of the and all of this, 
that's we'll talk about another limiting factor is geographical. Most of all the early Christian art that we find is in Rome. It's it's you do find some stuff in the provinces, but for the most part, uh, most of the early early Christian art is kind of within. Uh, you know, the Appia Way. I mean, all these catacombs are, are kind of all in Rome. And so it, it's, it's a, uh, a contrast, the simple art uh, and kind of almost symbolic sketch-like nature of the art versus, you know, the fine uh, art that's going on in Rome at the time. The fourth category, and then I'll, I'll let you go, but the fourth category uh, that we find in this early art are portraits of Christ and the saints. Most of that's going to come in the second category, the post-Edict of Milan category, where you start not only seeing uh, portraits and, and depictions of Jesus, but also the apostles and then eventually the martyrs, uh, and which you know has a whole different... That's where the Feast of the Saints come from. You know, Roman culture, you go eat dinner on the ground by your ancestor's grave, we start doing that with the martyrs and the saints as well. And then we start having days that we celebrate those, you know, saints and martyrs days. That's where the the saints days comes from. So, anyway, next week uh, we'll we'll just blow through these other thing, uh, kind of limiting scopes, geographical, uh, and then kind of the technique and how you know the simplicity of all of this, uh, and then we'll get um, into these. Specific next week we'll talk all about non-narrative images. Some of what we talked about this morning, but in uh, detail. So, anyway, thanks for being here. Yeah, see you next week.